Well, thank you, uh, Shores, for sharing about how God has moved in uh, your hearts and uh, how you are generous people. And uh, we praise God for this group, this team, New Hope for the Future team, uh, that is helping us to kind of figure out uh, what the plan is moving forward and how we communicate that to our church. And uh, we're excited about what God is going to do in the future years through the life of this church. But uh, I, I'm excited about what he is doing right now. And I praise God for uh, just the generosity that is uh, on display from people who are newer to our church and have jumped right in and are committed and from those who've been faithful for a long period of time. What a great partnership it is and what a way it's contributing to uh, the ministry of this church here in this community and beyond. Uh, and God is really at work in an incredible way. Uh, this past uh, Sunday, I know it was a kickoff Sunday, but our students uh, went up to the student room uh, to get ready for life groups in our 11 o'clock hour last week and didn't have enough chairs. Uh, so praise God for that. That's a great problem to have. And the one person clapping, we can join you in clapping with you about that. Um, it's always funny when you're that one person, you're like, am I more spiritual than people or just awkward, you know? Anyway, uh, we praise God for that and praise God that uh, the needs for teachers uh, have been met there. So there are other opportunities to serve, but you, uh, and you can ask uh, Alec about those. I, I do wanna mention uh, three opportunities in our children's ministry, which praise God uh, that we have so many more needs that are met. Uh, this year, we're not like begging for 100,000 volunteers, you know, this year, uh, but there are some uh, awesome needs that you can meet. Uh, four of those would be uh, to join uh, during the worship uh, service, the kids' worship service uh, that's happening uh, right now at the 9.30 time. So you'd switch and come to the 11 o'clock or the traditional service at 8 o'clock. And you don't have to teach and be in a smaller environment. Uh, so as long as you can hear kids screaming about Jesus' songs uh, for a little while, uh, you'd be great to fit in that role. Um, also, we need two men on Wednesday nights for our first grade class. Uh, two men specifically uh, for our first grade class on Wednesday night. And then uh, we have some uh, children that just need uh, a buddy uh, to be with them uh, throughout our uh, different programming that we have. And so uh, I think praise God for those who've committed to be our Bayshore buddies. And so we need a few more of those. Uh, you can stop by the boat and talk to Lucas or talk to Beth or call the church office or email any of us and find out more about how you can get plugged into those roles. Uh, serving in our children's ministry and student ministry is one of the most practical ways that we can be engaged in intergenerational discipleship. Intergenerational discipleship is the center of our current teaching series through all generations. Intergenerational discipleship is discipleship. That means teaching somebody who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. That is intergenerational, which means it's from an older generation teaching a younger generation what it means. This is the model we see in the Bible, both in the Old Testament with the people of Israel and both in the New Testament with what we see prescribed and described in the church. And it's the way the church has functioned throughout 1900 years of his existence. The idea that generations wouldn't interact with each other on a weekly basis is a relatively modern idea uh, that uh, just the church has done in the last 50 to 70 years. Uh, we've been looking at the books of Joshua and Judges as the Israelites get settled into the promised land. And uh, we saw that Joshua called the people of Israel to renew the covenant. And he said, choose this day whom you will serve. And then he declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so we see the encouragement and the example of Joshua to take responsibility for your faith and for the passing down of your faith to those who God gives you responsibility for in your home. But then we also saw that uh, shortly after that, the, the book of Judges describes that after this generation, there arose a generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so there was a failure, uh, you know, systematically or by and large from the people 
to pass down who Jesus, excuse me, who God is and what it means to follow him. Today we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is before those things took place. And it's what is considered Moses' farewell speech as the people prepare to enter the promised land. This gives us context to what Joshua was asking the Israelites to commit to and what it means to be engaged in intergenerational discipleship. The big picture here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the approach the Israelites needed to possess, the mindset that they needed to have if they were going to honor God and pass honoring God down to generations that would follow them. And I think in Deuteronomy 6, we see a healthy definition of what discipleship is. And, you know, when you think of the idea of our family and discipleship in our family, but then also the idea of the church being a family. And so discipleship needs to exist within the extended family as well. And so I'm going to talk about six aspects of healthy discipleship. And also, I'm just going to ramble about some things as well. Uh, my wife used to call me Rambling Ross in our first days. And so you haven't called me that in a long time. Uh, so I'm just going to ramble some about some things uh, that I think are important to this. So I'm just going to pray right now that God would bless that rambling uh, and make what he wants to make clear. So if you pray with me, God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your freedom. God, I pray today that it would not be about me. It would be about you and Lord, I just pray that our hearts would hear something that you would have for us to, to hear and apply so that we can live our lives uh, the way you've called us to live, experiencing your goodness. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I'm just gonna dive right in. The first uh, aspect of healthy discipleship is that healthy discipleship is reproducible. Healthy discipleship is reproducible. Deuteronomy's, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one and two says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So Moses says, hey, you need to do this. You need to be someone who fears God. You need to be someone who considers God to be the most important thing in your life, and let that foundational truth shape who you are and what you do. And you need to be intent on keeping his statutes, his commandments, all the days of your life. And Moses says, and if you're doing that, may your life be long. So being someone who says, I have a personal relationship with God, I am responding to God, I am living for God, is incredibly important. But Moses also says, and you should be concerned about your son. And you should be concerned about your son's son. This is one instance of a thread throughout the Bible that we understand our faith to be something that is not just generational, but that is passed down from generations to generations. In fact, if you go back two chapters to Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine, as Moses is kind of preparing part of this speech, he says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget that the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. He says, don't forget what you have seen take place. 
don't let these things depart from your heart all the days of your life. Be diligent about remembering who God is and what he has done. And make those things known to your children and make sure your children's children know them. Make sure this is being passed down. And so we want to teach these things to our children so that they will then teach these things to their children. You see, it should be the goal for our children to lead their children to Jesus. It should be the goal for our children to lead their children to Jesus. Not to just tell our children information, but to be shaping our children in a way that they would then tell their children how and what it means to follow Jesus. And so we need to start teaching them things we do while we have their back. We need to start speaking into the future roles they will step into, some that are clear, some that we might believe, now. We need to empower them to lead, and I specifically say this, we need to give them opportunities to do this while they have their, our support and their back. Some of you may or may not be aware of this, but whenever uh, we sought out a couple years ago uh, to hire someone to lead our children, to lead our students, we were intentional and that we wanted to bring in younger people who we thought had a passion, who had a love for Jesus, who had gifts, who we knew they're young. They might make mistakes, but if they have the support of some of our more experienced staff and this incredible church family, they are going to thrive and they are going to lead well. And not only are we gonna see them effective now, we are gonna see them effective in the future. And so that's part of what drove us to the place where we hired Alec, who's our student minister, and we hired Lucas, who's our children's minister. And church, they're thriving. They're doing incredible jobs. They're young. They didn't have a lot of experience coming in, but I really believe, and I hope this is true. Alec, you're in here. I don't know. Lucas is somewhere running the ship. Um, we have their back. They have our support. We want them to lead and continue to grow into the leaders that they are called to be. And it's very similar with our children, and it's very similar with the people that we are pouring into that we have proximity to that we begin to give them opportunities to lead while we have high proximity to them. We begin to speak into their call while we have high proximity to them. And so we're investing in them. Now, how do we do that, right? And so last week, you know, and I just wanna say this, people have said to me over and over again, so you're talking about like, hey, we need to be prioritizing the next generation and seeing discipleship happen and how do I do that? And people have said, you're not giving us application. And last week, I just wanna point out that I said, so be a part of a life group, serve in the ministry that your children are involved in, and have an intergenerational relationship with someone. And people are like, oh, but I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. No, I won't do that. That is application. And I'm just gonna say to you, I'm gonna say some more specifics, but if you're not willing to do some of the basic things that are laid out, you're not gonna get into the specifics. You're not gonna sustain the specifics. And I want you to notice that what God says through Moses is he says, you do this by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And we'll unpack that some more. But you need to understand, you reproduce yourself. You reproduce yourself. This is a leadership principle that, that is really important to us. In fact, when we think about you know, our church, anyone is, of course, welcome to attend. Anyone is welcome to serve in different areas within our church. But when we think of leaders and teachers, there's a high bar on that. 
Because those leaders and those teachers are going to reproduce themselves. If they're not already serving and we put them, it's gonna be a class of people that don't serve. If they're not people who humbly approach the Bible, it's gonna be a group of people who flippantly approach the Bible. If there's somebody who gossips, then that class is gonna be full, or that life group is gonna be full of gossip. The, really, the realization that I have and that you should have is that we produce who we are. And so we need to be aware of this if we are in positions of influence. And all of us are in positions of influence. There are people who are around us who we have some influence over. And we're reproducing that. If you walk into my home and you interact with my children on a consistent basis, something you're gonna realize about the Ross children is that they're very sarcastic. Where did they get that from? You reproduce yourself. And so since we acknowledge this, we need to understand that the best way to reproduce what it means to follow God is by being someone who is committed to following God. Moses is instructing the Israelites to ensure that who God is and what God has done is being intentionally taught to the next generation. Healthy discipleship is reproducible. When you think about a tree, a tree is, is created to reproduce, to plant seeds so that it would um, bring forth more trees, so that its family would grow. And that is indeed how God has wired us. This, let's keep going. The second aspect of healthy discipleship is that healthy discipleship is specific. It's specific. Verse three, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, be careful to do them. Keep watch doing these things. The idea, the imagery of this word that's used here in the Hebrew is protection of guarding the commandments of God. He's saying there is a diligence that is required here in being faithful to who God is and what God has said to do. This is why we must be absolutely clear about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, because a lot of people do not clearly understand what it means to be a Christian. And people, I'm staggered, who grow up in Bible-believing, gospel-professing, at least in word, churches, hit their deathbed, and say, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've been good enough. We are failing at ensuring that people have clarity about what the gospel is. The gospel is that we can't do anything to be good enough. I had the privilege of meeting with two families this past week who their children are, are walking through you know, what it means to follow with Jesus, and I was asking them some questions, and both of these children articulated, I'm not good enough to get into heaven. I don't deserve heaven. This is foundational to what it means to be a Christian, that we understand we are not holy. There is only one who is holy, and it is his gift of grace that Christ died on the cross for our sins that makes us righteous, that makes us enter heaven. We have to be crystal clear about Jesus being the only way to heaven. We must emphasize it. We must proclaim it. We must talk about it. It must be the thing that our children walk away with from our home and from our churches. But we also must focus on the word of God and how to hear from God. People often say, I don't hear God speak. And I would say, read the Bible. Well, I'm not hearing him speak out loud. Read the Bible out loud because there is the word of God. 
God has spoken to us. He has given us a gift, a treasure to know him and know how to live. And yes, there are some specifics of our life that are not contained within here. But Howard Hendricks says 95% of the will of God is in here. If we focus on the 95% of the, God, of, of the will of God, God will take care of the other 5% in our lives. And I, we as people of God have to be specific about who God is and careful to focus on these things of God. And it's the knowledge of God and it's obedience, hearers and doers of the word of God. Healthy discipleship is specific. Trees don't arbitrarily plant fruit. They reproduce themselves and they reproduce something specifically. And that's the mentality we have. We wanna be clear about what we are reproducing and it's who God is as he says who he is, not who culture defines him as or we might arbitrarily define him as. Healthy discipleship is specific. The third aspect of healthy discipleship is that healthy discipleship is collective. Healthy discipleship is collective. Perhaps this is one of the most neglected aspects of discipleship today. Remember in week one, we talked about the picture of the church being a family. I think we have the visual that I, I threw up there in week one where we have all these different age groups and they might go to their own rooms, but they're a part of a family. They're serving together, they're doing life together. Now it was pointed out to me that we left the singles out of uh, this house. And if you're single, you're like, like always, you left us out. And I just want to say, no, you're just single and you're off on an adventure that we're envious of and you come back and visit, but you don't necessarily have a room in the house. But you are still a part of the family because we're all a part of the family. Whatever stage of life we're in, whatever it is we're doing, we're all a part of the family of God. And that's why God has equipped us on this earth. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, but to each one he has given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And he's saying this within the context of the church's good and the communion of the saints. Each of us are gifted and talented not to build ourselves up, but to build up the body of Christ. Our lives lived on this earth are for the glory of God to increase to the building up of the church to accomplish its mission. We will be in heaven worshiping Jesus forever. You're still here for others. Paul said to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would rather go and be with Christ in heaven, but God has left me here on this earth for your account, for your progress in the faith. You are here on this earth for the progress of others in the faith. And so there is this collective responsibility in making disciples. And there was a collective responsibility for God's people as they entered the promised land. I want, I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 31 through 33, again, leading into chapter 6. Moses says, but as for you, stand here by me that I may speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them so that they may follow them in the land which I'm giving them to possess. So you shall be careful to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk entirely in the way in which the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and that it may be well for you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. You see, it's this collective identity, this collective partnership in being the God, people of God, a community centered around the value of knowing and obeying God's statutes and commanded for us. And it's important to note that the blessings of your days being long and it going well with you and multiplication are attached to obedience 
And so while God doesn't always give us earthly prosperity, he's saying, generally speaking, you know, there is this kind of blessing from being people committed to the word. And to fully understand that, what we must understand is that is a call and a promise that is plural, which means God's promise of prosperity and preservation are spoken to the community of believers, not the individual. Here's how I know how out of whack we are. So many people, and I love you, say Jeremiah 29, 11 is my verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. It's not an individual verse. It's to the people of Israel. God says, I'm gonna prosper my people, not I'm gonna prosper each individual. Now, ultimately, do we have prosperity in Christ? Yes, all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so everything that we long for and want from the Bible that it paints will be realized in Christ for all of eternity. But not every one of us are gonna achieve our prosperity and our hope and our future. It's just easy to say that when you're athletically gifted or you come from privilege to claim that verse. See, it was true, but it was never intended to say that's for every person. It's to say God is gonna preserve his people and he did so that Christ would be born through them. God ensured that was gonna happen. And God is going to advance his church so that his name would be known and that his glory would be spread and that we would experience that for all of eternity. That's the message of the scripture. And so we find our identity as believers really in being in the context of community. Now, make sure it's community with God, not community without God. Right, like sometimes we misquote Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen, which says, or First Chronicles seven fourteen, if we if my people call by my name, I will come and I will hear their land. And we're like, see, that applies to America. No, it doesn't. It's talking about the people of God, again, who are who are centered around specific God, Yahweh, God, one God. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to continue to work in my people to accomplish my purpose. It's not arbitrary, it's not generic, it's specific. This is important to embrace so we understand why things are and then so we understand how discipleship should look. There's a book out there, I encourage you to read this, called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity by Reggie Joyner. And that was a book that really opened my eyes before I was a parent to the reality that I can parent better when I'm a part of the faith community. And I have other people speaking into my life. You see, it expands my children's understanding of who God is and how they can listen to his voice. The scripture says, in the counsel of multitude, there is safety. I always tell people that who give my advice. In the counsel of multitude, there's safety. I say, I'm not just, I'm not the voice, I'm just a voice. I'm a very loud voice, but I'm not uh, the voice. I'm just a voice. And, and here's the thing, and, and a lot of you want that mentoring relationship. I hope you get that mentoring relationship. But if they're not pointing you to the fact that they're not the answer, they're not mentoring you the way they should be. If you're a Christian, you don't need a Jesus in your life. You already have a Jesus in your life. You need people to point to how you can hear the voice of Jesus. Don't try to elevate someone there. That's unfair to them. They'll let you down. Understand who they are. And let them be a part of your faith growing in Christ. Okay, I would, I would just say this. Trees survive much better when they're a part of a forest, when they're not isolated. And in the same way, as believers, we are not intended to be on our own. 
And we're not intended to parent or disciple on our own, but healthy discipleship is collective. Number four, healthy discipleship is responsive. Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. E.W. Nicholson says of Deuteronomy and the laws contained within it, in a very real sense, it is true to say that the entire book is a commentary on the command which stands here at the beginning, that you shall love the Lord your God. And what I would suggest to you is that all of the Bible is a commentary on what Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus, and what Jesus summarizes as recorded in Mark 12, 28 through 34 says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The rest of obedience flows from that. P.C. Craigie says, the commandments which provided the framework within the Israelites could express their love of God were to be upon their heart. That is, people were to think of them and meditate about them so that obedience would not be a matter of formal legalism, but a response based on understanding of who God is and what he has done. That is the basis for obedience. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, it's 10 of the greatest rules ever given, but Exodus 20, verse one, before God gives them, he says this, I am the Lord your God, sorry, verse two, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God establishes why we should obey him, because he's delivered us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, says all scripture is given, is inspired by God, is given to us for, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so the man, thir- man of God may be thoroughly complete for every good work. They're able to make us wise in salvation. It says I have like three translations memorized there. But if you notice, it says they make us wise in salvation. Excuse me, for instruction in righteousness. And in verse 14 says, they make us wise in salvation. There, Paul is saying, you're saved. Here's how to live as someone who's saved. Trusting God and trusting his word and living in these ways. A lot of emphasis is put on how the church should be loving people. But 1 John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. It's not that we keep these commandments and do these things out of this obligation in order to get God, be on God's good side. It's because God showed us through Jesus that he's on our side. And so we're with him. And so we respond to that. And most Christians would say that salvation isn't a work, but then they treat it like it's a work, just an easy work. God forgives me even though I do so much. The gospel tells us that we are more sinful than we know and we are more loved than we could ever imagine. That's the gospel. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And Christianity is a response to God's deliverance, to God's salvation. Our obedience doesn't lead to our salvation. Our salvation leads to our obedience. And so it's so important as disciple makers and as parents that we are driving this home as much as we can. The why behind what we do is we love God and we love people because he has given us, given us his heart. The other day, just an example of this is one of my children were being mean to the other child and, um, you know, I, I 
was like, why did you do that? And they were like, I don't know. And I'm like, no, why did you do that? I don't know. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your room and I want you to sit in your bed and you can read your Bible or you can just sit there and pray or whatever it is what you wanna do. Don't play with your toys. And I want you to come down when you tell me why you did that. Because I wanted to hear their heart. I wanted to hear what their mind was thinking as they did that. And so, you know, 15 to 30 minutes later, they finally come down and they expressed why they did it. And I said, let's connect that. Is that the loving thing to do? Is that valuing your neighbor as yourself? Does God always pay us back for what we did wrong? And, and, and so I, I'm just saying we have to take those moments to do that. Now, let me be fully transparent here because I don't want this to sound like an Instagram, Facebook post. Half the time, I'm like, just go to bed. We'll talk about it in the morning. Okay, so that's true. But there are these moments where I'm intentional and I get these opportunities to say, hey, here's where your heart is because my goal is not behavior modification, it's gospel transformation. It's that they get their identity as a, as a proclaimed follower of Christ. This is why I think recovery programs can be bad because sometimes we just clean people up and we never get to why they do the things the way they do them and then when they're put back into another environment, they fall right back into it. Our goal is redemption, not just recovery. And so, you know, when we think about Christianity and if a tree is not planting the fruit it should, I think sometimes we think Christianity is just trimming it up and cleaning it up and then it does what it's doing, but that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is we're not producing fruit because we're dead. And the only way that we can be made right is if Christ gives us new life. And then life is a response. It's a fruit-producing life. Healthy discipleship is responsive, and I think we need to make sure as parents, as disciple makers, we're not just trying to get people to act in a certain way, but to respond to God. Number five, I gotta hurry up because I only have two left to go, and not a lot of time. You didn't need me to do the math for you, but it's okay. Maybe some of you did, I don't know. Number five, healthy discipleship is intentional. Verse seven says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And we're gonna focus heavily on these verses next week. But what you need to understand here is that the word says you shall teach them diligently. This is not haphazard. This is not just the mindset that says, I love God, I hope my children love God. It's a life of intentionality. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon last week to hear how important I think it is that parents realize it is their responsibility to teach their children. And how many churches today have just given up on what God has asked them to do as long as they attract and retain people. And her analysis of the shift that has taken place in most churches, Ivy Beckwith concluded simply that children's ministry is broken. She believes that far too many churches regard children's ministry as a marketing tool rather than a discipleship process. What she says is that basically, churches feel like if they can have a bunch of pictures of a lot of kids coming on campus, people get excited about it and it keeps people thinking God's doing something. Instead of actually being concerned with, are we intentionally teaching the next generation? And I would just say to you, in this church, in whatever church you're part of, 
you really need to pay attention to this. Like, are we baptizing children because it affirms their parents that they're doing a good job and makes us feel like we're doing a good job? Or do these children really understand the gospel? Are we engaging children with the word and students with the word? Or are we just entertaining them so they'll keep coming back and saying they like being here? And what I would suggest to you is that we've been doing this for about 20 or 30 years and now my generation and below of adults are like this. And we need to ask ourselves as a church, are people really getting baptized as adults because they understand who Jesus is or because by getting baptized is an affirmation that God is on their side so they can keep living how they wanna live? Are we really engaging adults in the word of God or are we just creating an experience that makes them feel good so they can keep coming back? You see, Jesus called us to count the cost as a disciple of Jesus. He's called us to obey him. Being a Christian is about him being Lord of our life and surrendering and doing what he's called us to do. And if we are disciple makers, we must be intentional about this. What I would suggest to you that being a disciple maker in your home and beyond that is about intentionality with proximity. It means that we are around them and we are intentional with them. If we are just intentional with them and not in proximity to him on a regular basis, we will often come off as harsh and hurried and uncaring. If we are around them a lot, but we are not intentional, we will be their friend, but we will not love them the way that God has called us to be. And so we have to have intentionality with proximity. And we can't just be looking for the great moments. We can't just be looking for the moment that we can post on social media or that we can celebrate. We have to really understand that quantity time is what leads to quality time. Quantity time is what leads to quality time. We have to be around people. We have to open up our homes. We have to be in church. We have to be engaged in the community. We have to be present with our children. And that's gonna lead to these quality time moments. The other night, I was pulling weeds because my wife told me that I needed to. And so I was pulling weeds and I invited my children to come out. And one of them and I just ended up having a great conversation about all that God is doing in their life. It was just so sweet. You can't manufacture those moments. You can't make those moments happen. It comes, comes through consistency. And what I would just say to you is God just helps us so much when we really have the intent to be intentional as parents and as disciple makers. And I'm a driven person. It's hard for me to slow down. I, I told my wife this yesterday because we just kind of had an evening where we didn't have anything to do. And I said, I almost feel guilty that we're like not doing anything, getting anything done. She's like, you're weird. I mean, I am. And I've had to realize something. One of my mentors told me, some of your big dreams should not happen when your children are small. And maybe we would just realize that the biggest work we have to do are the people that God places in our life. Maybe they're sitting with us right now. Maybe they're in the homes next to us. And that we would just be faithful in those things. In the things that we know that are clear to do and trust God for the rest. And that we wouldn't obsess about the ideals of discipleship. Look, People who say, if you're here and you say, and if you're new, brand new to church, so I'm not talking about you, but if you've been going to church for a long time and you say, I don't know how to do these things, I love you, but Google it and there's a million results. I'm a little auto over, overweight right now and have been, if you know me. It's not because there's not information. 
It's because I just keep eating pizza. You're not, not, the reason you're not present with your children and the reason you're not making disciples is not because you don't know, it's because you just don't want to be committed to. Now, now I say that again, don't compare yourself to the ideal. Get off social media if you constantly feel like a failure as a parent because of that carefully curated, as Justin says, Instagram post of the lady whose kids probably aren't ever really focused on the way they should be. Just be faithful and trust God. Love them well. Have people who are constantly evaluating and talking to you and holding you accountable. And I, and I just, I'll get on to the last thought here, is healthy discipleship is humble. Healthy discipleship is humble. Actually, two more things. Um, it's not what you teach, it's what you emphasize that sticks with people. So you can talk about how you wanna be Christians, but your children see what you emphasize. And what is celebrated is repeated. And I would just ask you, I know you celebrate their academics and their athletics and those things. Are you celebrating the fruit of the gospel in their life? And if you don't see it and aren't looking for it, does the fruit of the gospel matter to you like it should? Okay, that was a terrible transition. Back to point number six. Healthy discipleship is humble. Last thing, verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Moses says, we're going into a promised land. We're gonna experience the benefit of this promised land and we did nothing for this. God prepared the way for us. None of us are self-made. And it is generational idolatry to think we are the generation who's figured it out. Because even if we are the generation who's figured it out better than others, it's because of what came before us. And we need to acknowledge that and recognize that. And that creates a humility in us. That we are small in the scheme of history and in the scheme of the world. And, and what we need to recognize then as our generation is that the generation coming after us, things are going to be different about that generation. And we cannot prepare them for everything. But here's what we can do. We cannot control everything that they will face, everything the next generation will face. But we can prepare the way for them to honor God. Not by discovering new truths, but as C.S. Lewis says, by teaching the same timeless truths over and over. And of those, the most important truth is that their way, whatever that may look like on earth, is ultimately found in Christ. Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. May the thing that we care about most for our children be that they know who they are in Christ and may we be constantly helping them to see that they are so small and yet God is mindful of them. God has a plan for them. God has a purpose in their life. God wants to use them. Just don't forget who you are and who 
God is. Here's kind of my last exhortation to us as we think about wanting to be a family. We think about wanting to be a church that is committed. We often want easy, quick fixers and big answers. And D.L. Moody, the famous preacher, said there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but so few of us are willing to do the little things. May we parent in the moment, thinking about the long range. And may we be present with those who are part of this church family in the moment, thinking about the kingdom. I wanna invite us to a time of response and our worship team's gonna come forward and uh, Scott Linder, who's uh, one of our uh, deacons, is gonna pray in just a moment. But before we do that, I just, I want, I want us to respond. And, and, and I'm gonna give you freedom here you know, you, you can, throughout this time of response, you can just pray where you are. Maybe you as a family just kind of want to huddle around each other. Maybe, maybe you know somebody who doesn't have family and they're this passionate follower of Jesus and you know they just need your support. Maybe you want to huddle around them. I'm just going to invite us as the uh, band plays uh, softly um, to just kind of respond to God. And, and then just a moment uh, as we pray and just commit to the Lord uh, Scott will lead us. So I'm gonna open up our prayer. We'll have a time of reflection and, and then Scott will pray. God, I, I pray that we hear from you. We're hearing from you. And I pray that we're committed to you. God, may we obey you in the things we know to do right now. 